It's been uh, three, about three and a half years since Katrin and I have been married, and uh, like any good marriage, I think that you measure time between loving eye rolls. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that. Uh, the source of the latest eye rolling in our family is uh, the newest member of our family, and I want to introduce you. Um, this is our 1985 Ford Bronco that I purchased <laughs> on Craigslist. Thank you, whoever that was. I don't know. Um, it's red, it's getting a little old and rusty, it doesn't work very well, it's got a funky smell, it's way too loud, so we get along fine. Uh, like two twins uh, birthed in the uh, mid-1980s, we were separated, but we found each other again through a man on Craigslist who wanted to get rid of it. It sat in his field for four years until he decided that it was time to unload it. So when I went to see it and I uh, met the man in the field, uh, the engine lumbered to, be, to start. I thought I was going to get it for a cheaper price if it didn't start at all, but it started. Um, lumbered to turn over, struggled, and after a disconcerting amount of time, I thought about it. I offered to purchase it, and the man looked at me, laughed, and said, really? <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, man, have fun with it. And uh, I took it away, and I drove it home, and we got there. The first evening that I worked on it, discovered uh, that uh, there was a lot of things wrong with it. There was pieces that were broken or missing, uh, that there was a family of five mice that had died inside of the coolant bin. That was fun. Uh, and that after 32 years of grit and grime, that you need a scraper and not a paper towel to get that off, because it's uh, just on there, caked. You may have seen or heard me around Hinsdale the past uh, few months, uh, past few weeks, sorry. Uh, it's running a little bit better than it was. It's getting me around. Um, and as any good youth pastor, I've enlisted the help of some of my youth to come help me uh, take some pieces out, put some new pieces in, um, get our hands dirty together. It's good. And it's free labor. <laughs> it's been a constant source of joy for me and a, constant, and a source of constant eye rolling from Katrin. Uh, but projects like this give me life. Uh, they hold me accountable to keep my hands uh, busy. They allow me opportunities to learn new skills, to reach out to others uh, with more skill than myself, strengthen old skills. And I love finding the discarded and the broken things and helping get along that process of coming back to life, to discover that broken piece, the replacement part in the junkyard, or the correct fix, or to cleanse the grit and the grime, to seek the expertise of others and have them speak into the process and see this measured change strikes me as something that's not only deeply satisfying, but deeply spiritual. The discarded Bronco and the field and the 10 lepers, the discarded and the broken of society as it is for the Broncos and for the lepers, may it be to us as well. <laughs> so thank you for letting me justify that purchase. <laughs> 10 lepers come to Jesus, all 10 are cleaned, nine walk away, but one returns. He turns back and he cries out and prays and says at the feet of Jesus. And it's that one that Jesus says, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And this action is linked with Jesus' answer to the question from the Pharisees in the next part of this. These are linked stories. They go together. One is a sign of the other. They can't be told without one another. There's a reason that Luke put them with one another. They asked him when the kingdom of God would come. It's linked with that because it's a way of asking when God's plan for the world would come into full fruition. When God's plan or order would come to be. And Jesus replied, you can't say, look, here it is or there because the kingdom of God is among you. It is in the midst of you. 
So what to do with a story like this? Were the, not, were the other nine that were still healed, why were they healed if they didn't show their thankfulness? How and why is it that Jesus can declare that God's future plan is here and now, even when we know that it's not? Why did the foreigner seem to understand something that the others missed? Finally, is there a difference between what it is to be cleansed and what Jesus declares to the leper who comes back and says, you are made well? Wrapped up in this question about when the kingdom of God would come was the hope that Jesus would bring God's uh, promises into the present. In the Old Testament, the covenant promise to Jesus, to Jesus' people, to God's people, was to say, you will be a nation that blesses all nations. Through the family of Israel, the blessing of God will spread to all people. That's the original promise that we inherit, that we are a part of, that we take part in. That is God's kingdom. This restoration and redemption and the healing of all things was the central part of Jesus' work. That's why he healed people. That's why he went to people on the margins, because it was all a part of that spreading of God's hope and message of heaven coming down to earth, on earth as it is in heaven as we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. The union of body and spirit of God, creation of the good presence of God and good, God's good creation flowing through and with one another forever and ever. The kingdom is here, but it's not, but it is. And there's more. One of the reasons I'm so intrigued by this story is because uh, it's, one of the, it's one of the stories in the Bible that I forgot about. Um, you know, you probably have those things where you read through and you're like, oh, I feel like maybe I've heard this before, but I probably thought that this was the story, I probably thought this was a parable, because it sounds a little bit like a parable. Ten, nine, uh, ten come and one, one only comes back. Sounds like a little bit like the 99 sheep and the one, uh, all those kind of things. You kind of forget about this story, but it's a story of Jesus. It's something that happened. It's an interaction that, that he had. And one of the reasons it intrigues me is because there's a difference in the designation of the people at the end of the story, if you notice. It says that all ten were cleansed. They all, ten lepers come, and they were all cleansed, and they were sent to the temple to show the priest. But one, the Samaritan, turns back. He comes back, and he falls at the feet of Jesus and praises with a loud voice. And Jesus says, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he leans into the foreigner and he says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So let's be clear here. All ten were equally cleansed, right? It doesn't say that as they went and they didn't show thankfulness that their healing went away. Jesus still healed them. But it seems that he's a little bit upset that they didn't return. It, but it doesn't change the state of their body. So what's the difference in status at the end? Why does it matter that one returned to give praise? Ten were cleansed, but only one was made well. The designations are different, and all of the ten recognize their need. That was plain. As Lars talked about a few weeks ago, the lepers were the people in society who had to, upon entering a room, declare their state of being. I'm unclean. They were the degenerate of society. They were ostracized. And when you walked into a room, you had to stay away because they uh, had the possibility of infecting other people, their bodies wasting away, a danger to others. But they needed to be healed all the same. The nine are thrilled that they can enter the temple again. I mean, you can imagine in the story, um, those nine are excited. They're, the, they're Jewish people, and so uh, they go to the temple, and they can be fully included back in society 
But something that's interesting here is that there was a deeper exclusion. There was something else going on. The Samaritan is the one who on the way to the temple recognized that he wasn't fully restored, that there was something else going on. Samaritans, as we find out throughout the biblical uh, text, is that these were people that because of their ethnicity were outside of the bounds of being included with other people. There was a division between uh, the Jews and the Samaritans. That same word for uh, Samaritan could be used to talk, for foreigner could be used to talk about an alien or an other. They weren't allowed in the temple. They were hated in society, and there was anger between the nations because of their ethnicity. Imagine the story. Ten lepers come to Jesus, and uh, they come to Jesus. They get healed. They say, Lord, have mercy on us. And as they're walking away, the ten of them, they're walking away, and they, he says, go to the temple. So they start walking to the temple. They're walking on the temple, and they're like, hey, is your hand healed? My hand's healed. Hey, is your arm healed too? And they're like all excited about it. They're like, hey, we're healed. And they're walking together. They're like, let's go to the temple and show ourselves to the priest. We get to be a part of society again. They're all excited. And so nine of them are walking. And as they're walking, the one, the Samaritan, he's probably walking along. He's like, yeah, my hand is healed too. And then as they're walking maybe a little bit further, it says they get down the road, but he turns. Why does he turn? He's walking to the temple and he realizes, I don't have a priest to go to. I'm not allowed to go to that temple. There's a deeper thing going on for this man. And so he's walking and he realizes the shame of his situation, that there's a society that has said you're not included. Two levels to the reason that you can't be in. And Jesus heals both of them. And so he turns and he goes back because there's a priest that he does have, a person who did heal him, and a person who did say, yes, you too can be made well. In that time, there was these deep divisions based upon where your citizenship was, where you came from, your family history, what you looked like, and what gods you worshipped. So basically, it was another time. We figured it out. No. Jesus keeps going over and over again to the people on the outs and saying, yes, you too get to be included. You too can be made well. Jesus says to the women, you too. Jesus says to the adulterer, adulterers and the sexually impure, you too, to the children, the kingdom belongs to you. To the people living with the shame of society, Jesus puts their voice first in his kingdom. And so there's a very real sense in which if we're not listening to what the children are saying or the needs of the outcasts of society, or we look to the work of our faith or of our church or of our hands and we realize that it's mostly for people like us mostly for the same kind of people. We're missing out on a big, big part of what Jesus' kingdom is all about. There's this undercurrent of his whole ministry that's the restoration of the other, the radical upending of status quos, and those who could be restored and who could be saved and who could be redeemed. Nine walk away, but the one with the least value is the one that gets it. This is the one that responds the way that is good and holy. We went uh, on CSM with our uh, confirmation students this past uh, weekend. Just yesterday we returned. And it's amazing to sit with students because they go to, we go to soup kitchens and we go into these areas of the city. And the biggest encouragement that Lars and I and uh, all the leaders have is to just sit and listen to the stories of the people that we interact with at these places so we could listen and we could know, we can learn from them because there's much for us to learn. Did you notice that it's not just when the, that the Samaritan returns it's that he's healed. 
Jesus said, your faith has made you well. He's already healed. He's just as healed as the other people. But he recognizes a deeper need than the bodily one, a deeper restoration that he needs. There's a deeper shame that needs healing. And this recognition and Jesus' response is what makes him well, as opposed to just being made clean. Ten lepers came to Jesus, and the one who recognized the needs of body and soul was the one who received the, express, the fullest expression of the kingdom of God. This kingdom is alive in as far as we are fully alive. Inasmuch as we seek out the restoration of things, the loving, the wellness of all things. Only the Samaritan gets it right. The outcast among us often has the greatest handle on the kingdom. The children are the ones who inherit the kingdom. Our church has been praying for a man uh, named Antonio Jones. You know him maybe by Tony. We've been praying for his release from prison and Katrina uh, and I and uh, several people that have been involved in uh, visiting people in prison. Um, I've been praying for his release, and I was hoping that he was going to be here this morning. He's planning on being released in the next few months, and he was supposed to be here today, but uh, we went to his court date, and they delayed it, unfortunately, for a period of time. We got to meet his parents there, which was really nice, but they were time-worn, and they were sad, and they were uh, angered that after 15 years of waiting to see their son again and have him restored to society, they have to wait another two months. So Katrina and I, we got to meet with them, we got to pray with them, and just visit with them. Um, but last time I saw Tony, I asked him if he, could, he would write us a letter um, so that we could learn from him. I want to share it with you um, as an encouragement to those of us who need the assurance of our healing, of our worth, and a radical declaration that right here and now, we too can be made well. That God's kingdom is a now reality for us to participate in. He writes, what is the value of a human life? Who sets the price? What is the value of your life? And when does someone's life become unredeemable? At what point can we as humans determine that another human has reached the limit of redeemable action? Are we God? Human nature dictates retaliation, but divine revelation urges mercy, compassion, forgiveness, and understanding. As you read this, understand at the very center of your being that you too can be redeemed and made well. That no matter what a system or society has said, you have something of value. As a human being, you are unique and therefore precious and valued beyond measure. Regardless of your misdeeds, you can choose to do better and be better. Do not fear to let your humanity shine like a beacon from within the crypt. Because someone will see your light shine and be inspired, inspired to shine their own forth. No one is beyond redemption. All you do is choose to be redeemed. I love the simplicity of these words. Choose right over wrong. Unity over separation. Love over hate. Think about what you do before you act. Don't let emotion rule your mind. For more people are affected by your decisions, your children, your family, and those who admire you. And then he ends with this, and it's beautiful. Do not abdicate the value of your humanity. Don't give away the value of your humanity. Don't leave it on the side of the road. Hold it. Find your purpose by finding your true self. The outcast among us often has the greatest handle on it, and we need to listen to the voices because we too can learn. It makes me wonder about the areas of our life where we've settled for just good enough, cleansing and comfort, the comfort of vanity, the comfort of our time. How many of us live lives comfortable with just enough of the kingdom of God um, to get by without requiring more? Because the reality is that we live in a time where we don't need to go to Jesus to say, hey, 
I have leprosy. That's something that we, by the grace of God, and because God's kingdom is in and among us, we can be healed by many things around us. There's these good things that we have in life, but while this is good, it leads us sometimes to believe that we become our own savior, that we are the source of the good things that we have. And I'm sure that we've all experienced these dark nights of the soul and days of the soul where the exterior of life all is good and well and it looks just nice, but there's a deep and abiding sense of unwellness present within us. This is ultimately the sickness that Jesus comes to heal. The deeper and dividing presence of sin and pride and independence and individualism of segregation and shame that kills both the body and the spirit. Pride says, I've done this myself. My leprosy was healed because of my faithfulness to God. My own work ethic is why I've been blessed. It's why I'm special. What I produce is what I am. Pride is what places us in the season of unfulfillment in our work because we know that we're not serving something beyond the needs of the kingdom. We're just seeking to build our own. Pride is what sends students to colleges and careers that look good Rather than, that, rather than colleges and careers that uniquely form their beautiful gifts and callings. Pride does not exist in God's kingdom because it ignores the loving embrace of a God that in humility and thankfulness says, all you have is good. Individualism and independence says, I must do this alone. I demand perfection and I need no other cure than my own action. I am a rock. I am an island. Independence does not belong in God's kingdom because it ignores the truth that our humanity is bound to one another. That the highest form of independence is interdependence. Segregation says we are different and therefore we are the sum of our differences. I will silo myself with those who only think, act, and look like me. Segregation does not belong in God's kingdom because Jesus healed the lepers. And the Samaritan was the only one who understood. We need the ones we despise. We need to be reconciled and restored to God just as much as to those that we despise and reject, the ones that we would rather not be around. We need one another. Shame says, I am nothing. I deserve nothing. My identity is my past or my present. I am who, I am, I am who others perceive me to be. Shame does not belong in God's kingdom because it cripples us with a human perspective on the image of God within each child of God. Jesus' actions said to the Samaritan, the outcast, the diseased, the shame-ridden, you too are worthy of abundant life. Sometimes the kingdom work is just ready to begin, but we're too busy to stop and recognize the area where we need it most. And in my experience, it's best to prioritize. Can you imagine if the lepers came to Jesus and when, the, and when Jesus said, what do you need? They said, well, I don't know. My back hurts. I've got a headache this morning that I'd really like to not be there. They had a much deeper problem that they needed to take care of. The past few weeks as I've been working on the uh, Bronco, this is our exhaust manifold. If you don't know what an exhaust manifold is, congratulations. You're in the same camp as I was two weeks ago. An exhaust manifold, if you don't know what it is, is uh, the part of your car that goes on the bottom of the engine where all the exhaust comes out and into the tailpipe to go out. So this is what goes to the tailpipe right here. Um, the exhaust manifold was 
jacked up on the Bronco when I first got it. I realized, you know, there's all these things that I can do, and I have this growing list of things that I have to take care of with the Bronco, a literal clipboard with a list of like 15 different things. And this was the most important, because you want to know why? If there's not an exhaust manifold with a correct gasket on it, exhaust comes right into your cab, and you can smell it, and your passengers can smell it. People maybe in this room drove in it before I fixed it. It wasn't great. <laughs> it wasn't great at all. It was loud. It was frustrating. And you want to know what? I didn't actually know that it was a problem until my friend who knows more about it said, I think that this might be a problem. I think your exhaust manifold gasket is blown, and you need a new one. And so I took it, and I opened it up, and I took out some pieces. And there's five bolts on here, and they did not want to come out. I'll tell you what. They did not want to come out at all. I broke three of them on the way off. And two of, I broke two of them on the way off, sorry. And three of them uh, were fine, and I could put them back on. But you know what? It's off, and it went back on. And I took it off before I came here uh, last night. And it came off way easier this time because it has new bolts. And let me tell you about the gospel of anti-seize stuff to put on your bolts when you put them back in. In the fall, I was experiencing a, a period of life where there was just a sort of deep and abiding sense of unwellness and unworthiness, a doubt in my work, a doubt in the things that I was doing, a doubt in my own gifts and my own giftedness. There were some bolts that were really stuck that needed to come out. And I needed the work of other people in my life. I needed the work of God in my life. And I needed um, the affirmation and the help of people to get those things off to take care of it. But you know what? I know what? The Bronco's driving better, and so am I. And you know what else? I get the sense that as a result of that work, the difficult work, the painstaking work of getting the bolts out and putting them back in, I get a sense that Jesus is saying, rise and go. Rise and go to the people who are experiencing that same unworthiness. Because when we're made well by Jesus, hopefully that sets us out on a path to do it for other people too. I wonder what would, it look, what would it look like if we drove around in cars that reflected our humanity. Cars that look like our families. Cars that look like our community. Cars that look like our city. Cars that look like our worldview. Not so that we could all feel guilty about it. Not so that we could feel shameful of it and be like, hey, when you see that guy, he's making some noise on the way to, way to work today. Not doubtful about the value of our humanity. But just to be honest about the state of it. You know, we live in a disposable enough culture that if something's broken or it's making too much noise, <laughs> or a battle, <laughs> I'll pay that guy $20 later then. <laughs> right on time. <laughs> or if a better model comes out, We live in a culture that it's just easy, it's easy to get rid of it. You don't fix it, you just get a new one. Or that person's committed that crime, or I've done this thing, or this division in our family is too deep to cross, or this thing, or that thing, or that system's been there too long, or that's just the way that it is. A lot of times we just don't deal with the problem and we just keep going. We put a paint job on the outside while there's exhaust leaking into the cabin. But thanks be to God that that's not the economy of God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. We don't live in a disposable culture in God's kingdom. We live in a place that constantly sees the worth, the beauty, and the hopeful future that might be for all things and all creation, all God's people, that all lepers get to come and be healed 
and that we get to be kingdom participants in both our healing and the healing of the world. In and around and above everything that you and I and we all do, the kingdom of God tries to break in to transform a sin and shame and pain and declare a new reality. In a world obsessed with that which can be measured and counted or discarded, Jesus declares a wellness of body and spirit to the leper, to the prisoner, to the slave, to the free, to the rich, to the poor, to the shame-risen, to the segregated and the prideful. At the feet of Jesus, we bring our full selves that we could be made well. So that Jesus might say to us, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Father God, you come to us each in our own state of brokenness, each in our own state of needfulness, and you are a God who sees the ultimate worst because there is a, a unique and beautiful image that lies within. I pray that you would awaken us to the areas of need in our world, in ourselves, in our families, and in our area so that we might be awakened to it and enlivened to the work of your spirit in your kingdom. In your name, amen. Let's stand and sing as we close.